Part 3. What is the enemy doing? Chapter 7. Who was it that desired and devised the horrible diseases that afflict all animals, birds and humans? Who was it that undertook to spoil the creation once described as very good? Who is it that still seeks to alienate mankind from the eternal God and usurp the loyalty owing to him on earth? It may seem very surprising that throughout their turbulent history the people of Israel were entirely unaware of their greatest enemy. Battling against human foes, they gave little or no thought to the unseen rulers, authorities and cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. They were unaware of Satan and ignorant of his schemes. The devil is not mentioned at all in the Old Testament. Satan appears only twice towards the very end of Israel's history in Chronicles and Zechariah. That is, apart from the well-known passage in the book of Job, which was probably itself a late addition to the text. Not till the days of Samuel was God called by the title Lord of Hosts or Armies. And then the focus was still on earthly battles, with no reference to hidden cosmic powers. In Psalm 82, a number of gods or angelic rulers are seen entering the presence of the Almighty, who rebukes them for tormenting the weak and advancing the wicked in the nations of the world. But within the land of Israel itself, demonic forces were severely curbed and their existence unsuspected. In every circumstance, the Israelites were accustomed to deal simply and directly with the eternal God himself. When David was moved to order a military census, he afterwards admitted, I have done very foolishly. So what led him to this unwise act? The contemporary narrative tells us that the anger of the Eternal was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah. In consequence, 70,000 people died. But some years later, the same event is described from a very different angle. We read, Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. In the earlier account, everything appeared to be from God, and darker powers were not evident. But afterwards, the chronicler perceived the sly hand of the enemy in catastrophes such as this. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, we read how the Eternal afflicted, the Eternal struck, and even the Eternal killed. With hindsight, in all these circumstances, we may suppose the devil was at work, permitted by the Lord God to do harm for a specific purpose of judgment, warning, or instruction. 
we can reassess all these events as the chronicler did in the case of David's census. On one occasion, we have a brief glimpse showing how this worked. Before going out to battle, the wicked King Ahab sought the advice of a prophet. This is how the prophet replied. I saw the Eternal sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Eternal said, Who will entice Ahab, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? A spirit then offered to lure the king into battle by moving false prophets to lie to him, and the Lord God allowed it. You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. In this incident we see three things. The Lord God resolved to end Ahab's corrupt regime. The lies were proposed by the evil spirit. Then God permitted the deception. But the complex sequence is summed up very simply for the king. The Eternal has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Eternal has declared disaster for you. Something similar may have happened much earlier, when the firstborn of Egypt was slain by the destroyer. And when the destroyer struck down the pessimistic spies on the borders of Canaan. And again when an angel of the Eternal destroyed the Assyrian army. In each case, if the blow was struck by a destroyer, it was actively allowed by the Eternal God. The subtle distinction between doing and allowing was not evident to the writers of the Old Testament. Many years would pass before Jesus taught much more clearly about the hidden work of the enemy, clarifying the essential truth that God is good and does good, while the evil one is evil and does evil. So long as the people of Israel had no defence against their unseen adversary, his activity among them was greatly constrained and his presence unsuspected. David himself remained unaware that it was Satan who incited him to number Israel. Job was not permitted to see the confrontation in the heavenlies that led to the troubles he faced on earth. No one knew what moved Cain to murder his brother until much later we learn he was of the evil one. When Moses died, we're not told until long afterwards how the archangel Michael was disputing with the devil, arguing about the body of Moses. The serpent in the garden was not actually identified as the devil and Satan until the final book of the Bible. For many generations, God's people had resisted raiders, armies and empires without any knowledge of demonic forces inspiring the human aggression against them. A glimpse of the enemy 
active and malevolent came only after the nation had been conquered, its people exiled, and its scriptures almost all complete. Then, in a vision, Daniel encountered one with the appearance of a man, who told him of a great spiritual conflict in the heavenlies. Powers of darkness were moving political empires to oppress his people, and God's mighty angels were ceaselessly working to restrain them. He heard about the Prince of Persia and the Prince of Greece, and also about Michael, one of the chief princes in the angelic hosts defending Israel. This was all completely new to Daniel, and so daunting that he could hardly bear to hear it. No one else in the history of Israel had ever been aware of it. Although the surrounding nations were entirely deceived by the devil and under his control, the Israelites in every generation were shielded from his presence and ignorant of his existence. It was the Lord God they had to deal with, accepting everything from his hand, seeking simply to please him. And if they went wrong, they had only themselves to blame. It is in the Gospel narratives that we first encounter the reality of a bitter, ongoing struggle between good and evil. The monism of the Old Testament gives way to the dualism of the new. It is a limited dualism, as the two powers are not equal. But a new element of conflict is certainly apparent, and the battle is no longer in heaven but on earth. There is a development, not just in the writer's understanding of the enemy, but in the activity of the enemy himself, as we shall see. It was Jesus who first taught clearly and directly about the devil and his demonic agents, with their stifling hold on human minds and bodies, and their constant activity opposing all that is good and true. In his parable of the weeds among the corn, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. When people hear the truth, the devil comes and takes the word from their hearts. To some who misunderstand and misrepresent him, he says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. No one had ever spoken like this before. Jesus identifies the source of all suffering. It is Satan who binds a poor bent woman and corrupts the heart of Judas. It is a foul spirit that causes a child to be deaf and dumb, and another foul spirit that drives a man to cut himself and hide among the tombs. But along with the demons, Jesus also rebukes a violent wind, a stormy sea, and a raging fever, for they too are the work of demonic powers. In many of his parables, Jesus emphasised the absolute contrast between good and evil. Fish are sorted into good and bad. One tree bears good fruit, another bad fruit. 
The rich man has received good things, the poor man bad things. The good person out of his good treasure produces good, the evil person produces evil. But if powers of darkness are active in the world, there is a mighty power of good, infinitely stronger and more active. Do not be anxious about your life, Jesus tells us. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Even the wicked and ungrateful are provided for, so how much more his beloved children? He said, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. So Jesus assures us of three things we really need to know. Firstly, that God is good and works for good. Secondly, that the devil is evil and works for evil. And thirdly, that although the devil can do much harm, our Heavenly Father loves us dearly and retains control over all that happens to us. The followers of Jesus had learned from him how to identify the cause of all their trials and temptations. Let no one say when he's tested, I am being tested by God. For God cannot be tested by evil, and he himself tests no one. And if we are troubled by the evil one, no testing has seized you except what is normal for humankind. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing will also provide a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So if God is on our side, what power does the devil now possess? What damage can he do? If we are in Christ... The devil has no more claim on us than he has on Christ, and no power to hurt or harm us. He cannot snatch us from the Father's hand. He may tempt us to throw ourselves down, like Jesus from the pinnacle of the temple, but he cannot cast us down himself. He may sift the poor disciples like wheat, but he must first beg permission and when he does, their master already knows the outcome. He may afflict Paul with a thorn in the flesh, a physical ailment described as a messenger of Satan. But the thorn is given for a divine purpose. He may imprison some Christians in Smyrna, but their Lord knows it long beforehand and promises them the crown of life. And although permitted to afflict the health of Job, the accuser could not shorten his life by a single day. In every case, for the disciples, for Paul, for the believers in Smyrna, for Job, and indeed for us, there is a heavenly purpose directing the earthly adversity, a purpose hidden from the sufferer, but known to God. It is all part of his perfect plan. So then, we read, 
those who suffer according to God's will should entrust their souls to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. When the Roman governor imagined he had authority to crucify or release the accused, Jesus corrected him, saying, You could have no power at all against me, unless it had been given you from above. When the devil put it into the heart of Judas to betray him, we read that our Lord was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The enemy may lead some on deadly paths, and to that extent has the power of death. But he cannot touch a soul who is bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Eternal. Like David, we may confidently affirm, I trust in you, O Eternal God. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Yet the enemy may still trouble and mislead us. Delay or illness or opposition may often make us aware that the devil fools with the best laid plans. The Apostle Paul was prevented from travelling to a certain city and admitted, Satan hindered us. But a setback for his mission often proved to be a blessing in disguise. Unable to visit the new believers there, he wrote them two letters which have encouraged every generation since. When sickness tied him to a particular place, he spoke of Christ there and subsequently recalled, It was because of a physical illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Harassed and persecuted in one city, he would move on to the next and find an open door and some of his most effective work was done in prisons and in courts of law. So, we are reassured, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Powers of darkness may push at the physical boundaries, but cannot move them an inch from where they are. In the ongoing battle between good and evil, we are not alone. We have constant help, and the outcome is secure. This will become much clearer as we look back to its starting point and trace its progress to the end. <laughs>